Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Hey, Boiling Pointers. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode. Before we start, Dave and I want to let you know all about our Boiling Point Process online courses, live events, and masterminds. After interviewing hundreds of leaders, we've packaged a ton of knowledge together to serve up to you. Info that will help you and your company be heard in a very noisy marketplace. So visit www.boilingpointprocess.com and sign up for the email newsletter and we'll let you know when our next cohort or event is. Thanks also for supporting The Boiling Point by subscribing to us on iTunes and also leaving a rating for us. Dave, uh, it's going to be hard for me to do this interview today because my mouth is going to be filled with this vegan incredible brownie. Chocolate. Chocolate brownie. And I know and that because I've got almost one down, and I don't typically eat stuff like this. Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Um, except, uh, except with coffee in the morning sometimes. But how many guests have brought in? Well, we, we, we've had people. We've had bring in beer. And we and had coffee. Beer, beer we had coffee, coffee um, come in. For, out pizza. Of the, pizza. Pizza, yes. Yeah. And not only. And we okay. have had a few things. Yeah, and, and we also have an orange here to, to balance yeah. the. Yeah. Uh, Okay, okay, okay. We're, we're in, in dreamland here. Welcome back to the Boiling Point podcast, everybody. Uh, we have yet another in-studio guest, which we're very excited about. Um, Dave, why don't you uh, give us the, the bridge? The bridge? Well, we um, I was at a dinner and, uh, about a year and a half ago, I'm guessing, and, some, and I met this very interesting uh, gentleman sitting at the table with me and our, uh, our a friend we all have in common is Kelly Van Buskirk, who's been on the show. He's this lawyer and he's this fascinating guy. He has a podcast called Legal Coaching um, that, uh, that, that FIA helps produce. But Kelly has an eclectic group of friends and he brings them together. And I had a chance to meet our guest today, Sean. And, uh, and, and it'll, the fascinating thing I find about New Brunswick is the people that live in your community mm-hmm. and, and are almost neighbors that you don't know. And then when you get to know them, you find that they do this fascinating work that actually is very close to the work you do, right? In my case. But, but here's an actually another interesting little factoid for the three of us. We all live along the water, the same river, I believe, mm-hmm. which is very cool. So if I, if I was to go by car to Sean's place, I've, I've run by his place a few times until they blocked, his, blocked it off with a new home. I think your mother-in-law's home blocks a, a particular <laughs> road. That's true. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that, that it was like, what are these people doing? And then, oh, no, they're nice people. Um, but if we were to go by water, and just recently, you know, I would I walked in front of his place because the, the river is frozen. But he's just just down the road from us, and uh, and we're hoping there's no flooding this year. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what we're hoping for. I, I just saw Greg's picture of the uh, flood crashing through the side of his house right now. Yeah, right now, as we speak right now, there's water literally pouring through my foundation God, from the outside. No. Pour, like like a tap. So you can put a cup underneath it right now. Oh, yeah. man, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I did not know that. Okay. So, Sean Ryan, welcome to the Boiling Point. Yes. We, we typically start, uh, 
with orange peeling and uh, a whole bunch of celery. Uh, so you're, you're, you're witnessing it in and, person. And just, I just want you to know <laughs> that I've prepped Sean for this interview. We spent a couple hours, so he's going to be flawless in his execution. Absolutely. No, <laughs> no doubt about that. So, Sean, t- t- tell our listeners what, uh, what you're all about. And I know you've got a book uh, that we want to talk about. But let's uh, let, let's hear from uh, from your mouth. Sure. Uh, first, thanks for having me, and uh, glad that uh, you guys like the uh, cupcakes. They're straight out of the uh, my wife's uh, kitchen. She's a baker and caterer, and the little factory over in this morning. So you you all got the benefit of some uh, excellent uh, and, pre- and, and the presentation too. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I I'd like to claim credit for that, but I <laughs> you can't. Dude. I can't. Uh, so uh, anyhow. Um, what what am I about? Uh, uh, I think Dave and I sim- share some very similar kind of things and kind of the work we've done. Uh, I've probably been in the consulting world dealing with organizations, leadership, uh, transformational change for a little bit over 30 years now. And uh, I got into the business a long time ago. Uh, mostly I started my career at a, a large uh, bureaucratic organization in uh, California. And uh, I was I was fascinated, and and it, and it kind of started the journey that I've been on for the last thirty years, which is I was fascinated by the fact that the organization at every level had really great people, people who wanted to do the right thing, people who were competent, uh, and when they were when they were unleashed and able to do what they knew how to do, uh, were incredibly passionate about the work that they did, and yet. There are a lot of days where people were frustrated, and you could hear the messages, and we even, we even tell this story in the book about the people at the top of the organization are talking about needing to be more focused on customers, being less bureaucratic, being more efficient, delivering better returns for shareholders. And the people at the front line talking about the same things, about trying to get the bureaucracy out of the way, doing better things for customers, and we know we can be more efficient and deliver better returns for the for the company and our shareholders. And yet those messages were completely disconnected. They were not connected to each other at all in any kind of way, even though people were seeing exactly the same thing and using strikingly similar language. And so in the in the book, we call it the, the marshmallow effect. It's the lack of communication, not because anybody's intentionally trying to do it, but because the inertia just keeps it from happening. And, and over the course of that time, my real takeaway was there's just a better way to create organizations and to create great organizations where people can come to work and do their best every day. So 30 years ago, I hopped onto this, what I now call a Don Quixotic mission to go try to create great organizations where people can do their best. And it's led to a whole lot of things over, over that period of time. And you've just written a book. Yes. And this is, I, I believe this is your, is this your first book? It's the first book, yeah. Okay. So there's, you know, 30 plus years of knowledge that you're trying and I think have done successfully is to bring it down to a, a very manageable, very you know, absorbable, you know, just a way to, to take that information and actually feel like you can apply it. And I, there's a real, there's a real art to that. So, and I know you're kind of just getting, you know, the book out, right? But I'd love to hear you, because we've talked about doing a book, right? Tell us a little bit just about that experience in itself, because, you know, I understand that that's been quite a journey, um, you know, to get to this stage. And congratulations, by the way, we have, we'll, we'll have to take a picture with a, with a pre-publication yeah. copy, which yeah, I yeah. have. And, and uh, for the listener, listener's sake, uh, I'm taking a picture of it right now. So like the process of, um, of writing a book, like what was, what has it done for you? Um, well, it, the, the process really started, well, well, for a long time, I, I always had this thought, I probably wanted to write a book, but I, I didn't know what I would write a book about. 
even though I've been around organizational change and transformation, I've been around leadership and the, you know, the world's overrun with books on leadership. And so I always thought about, I'm going to write a book someday. I don't know exactly what it's going to be about. And, and to be frank, in spite of the fact that the world's overrun with leadership books, I thought the first book was going to be a leadership book. And uh, seven or eight years ago, our, we had a variety of clients start asking us questions about how do we take our uh, strategy and actually execute it within our organization. And as we researched things, what we found was, I think I can say this, organizations fundamentally just suck at translating their strategies to the results they want. Uh, 75 to 90 percent of the organizations fail at that. And so we we started with the work around and and nothing it's kind of weird in the book uh, nothing as John Cruck the baseball player said uh, is rocket surgery uh, <laughs> it, it, you know you you'll read things in the book and you go yeah that uh, yeah that that's right I get that but there are twists in the book there are applications of that that um, that are different and and trying to help people reframe how they think. Some of the about some of the things to make what are simple concepts that people don't do to translate them into simple concepts that people do actually go execute on. So the so the first the the formation of the book was are the, is there a collection of ideas that we can pull together that would actually help people translate their strategy to real results. So the so that was the first thing is there's got to be something to write a book about. Right. The the second hurdle was. Man, what if I what if I wrote a book and put all that effort into it and it didn't sell? Yeah, you know? yeah. All right. And and, and thank so you for then, being so honest about that because that that yeah. would be uh, that's yeah. Real. And so that probably just just dealing with kind of that barrier mm. for me at least, and I'm I don't know that it would be that way for everybody, but for me, part of it was getting to the point of you know what, I don't actually care if the book sells a copy, if it sells one copy, which is the one that I have to buy, right? <laughs> then then that's great. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and that was huge because at the point that um, I, I got over that hurdle, then uh, things really began to get much easier at that point. Um, because what we knew, what, I, what I'd recognized was there's an absolute pattern of the things that have to happen uh, to translate strategy to execution to results that we talk about in the book. So having had that with that framework, these seven gears that we'd identified. Now all I had to do was begin to write about things that once I, once I was over the hurdle, all I had to do was begin writing about the things that I already knew, right? And and to take what was in my head and spew it out in some kind of way. And what did that? I mean, for from from the you know like that idea of um, when you're forced to explain something and try to be concise. I mean, how is that translated to your business? And and by the way, I th- you know, it'd be probably helpful to talk about whitewater consulting and the clients you serve because that 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 helps uh, people understand, you know, how you've you know you've come up with the content for the book. Is it's not uh, as far as I can tell, and what I'm reading is from a lot of you know being a practitioner and being in there and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Would that be fair? That absolutely. Versus true. versus you know. Um, you know, well, what's what I, and ironically, you're doing you know, the work you do. I find so interesting, given that um, you you uh, went to Georgia Tech and a degree in civil engineering, <laughs> and you works yeah, with yeah. people and culture <laughs> and leadership. And I'm like, wait a sec, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I describe this as a 30 year journey to create great organizations. You know, where people can do their best. A, a, a different framing of it is. 
man, just people just trying to help me find anything that I can do well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but frankly, the the engineering background, even though I think I've done about four days of engineering in my whole life, um, the engineering background uh, it has been helpful in a lot of ways, uh, in part. Uh, the, the, just the ability, what Georgia Tech, what I learned at Georgia Tech about how to think, right? right? How to take incredibly mass amounts of complex information and distill it into something that is understandable. Uh, and then I've also been blessed with, over the years, crossing paths with people who are really good at taking complex thoughts and translating them into more simple in the in, in to ways that I can actually understand it, right? And I figure if I can understand it, uh, then I can probably help other people understand mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. And and so all of that's been you know super helpful. Um, and I, and I've as you alluded to, Dave, I've been incredibly lucky over the years. Um, I started my you know work in a big corporation in California. Recognized that there was or you know had this theory that there's a better way to um, create organizations, cross paths with a couple guys that had a small boutique consulting practice in the San Francisco Bay Area. They were interested in the same thing, kind of things I was interested in. Uh, so met up with them, and then we just we just really got lucky in some ways over the years uh, in terms of the the companies that would let us in. It was like. Man, you never know who's going to walk in when you leave the doors unlocked, you yeah, know. And, yeah. and they would let us in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but you know, from companies like uh, you know Walt Disney World, uh, Federal Express, uh, Nucor, largest steel maker in North America, um, you know, and, and dozens of other you know uh, Fortune 100 size companies, all the way to you know start- startups, uh, entrepreneurs, the kind of people that uh, you all target the podcast toward. Um, We've just been lucky over the years to keep bumping into interesting people who wanted to try to do some interesting things with their organizations, and and they would let us let, let me be involved in helping them do that. So I mean, to have that experience and be able to come up with you know and distill this down to as you described, um, I think it's seven performance gears, seven gears, yes. Um, and um, but before we get there, Greg, like for you, for your perspective, I mean, when you think of doing a strategic planning session. What does that conjure up for you? We're doing one next week, interestingly, a, okay. t- a two-day. Okay. Um, the very I, I, I yearn for them, actually. I'm like, oh, we got to do this. But I, I also feel, I feel like it's the tw- you know, 20% of what I want to get out of it actually happened. You know what I mean? Like it's a, uh, uh, in strategic planning, it feels like I am probably, my company is very similar to many others where, we make plans, but then we so quickly slide back into the old ways and the habits. Okay, so precisely, and when I and a lot of people, and good for you by the way to do that because like I'm finding a lot of organizations will go, oh, we did a strategic planning session, we have this big document, and, and we looked at it, and and, <laughs> and I think one person looked at it and nothing happened with it, right? And I, and this is exactly the the challenge that you're helping people overcome. Absolutely, that's exactly. Greg, I've got a book for you. <laughs> oh, well, I, I'm seeing it right in front of me. I, I can't wait. Can I borrow it until next week? <laughs> and, 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 and what I like is, I mean, so people come up with the strategy, but, you know, the execution part can be really weak, right? And then so naturally, if you're not going to execute it, you're not going to see results. Right. And so so what I what appealed to me was I started learning more about Sean's work and Whitewater Consulting's work and, and, and him simplifying, you know, that process mm. from taking, you know, 
what I believe to be true, and I, I don't I don't mean to speak for you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, but it's it, like a lot of people stop at the strategy part because they feel like it's a it's going to be a um, a fruitless exercise. I mean, it might come up with great ideas, but but nothing's going to come out of it. Or as Greg says, only twenty percent, and and then you you may, you referenced about seventy five percent. There's right. a, a statistic out there fail to see the results on their. Mm. So, okay, well, so I'm, right. I'm I'm a statistic then. I'm I'm pretty close. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you, yeah, you said only twenty percent, so you're only you're, and i'm just i'm pulling that number out of nowhere right. but um just I, I feel that my whole team clearly we do take things because we do meet quarterly quarterly yeah. for strategic meetings and if you look back if i look back i'm like oh yeah it looks like we have been putting some of these things into place but it's so incremental that you don't notice the change i hope that next week after those two days of, of strategy building that we start to immediately start seeing change and i but you must see this all the time but let's let's it's let's so let's use this yeah. let's use this yeah, let's use me uh, and example. i didn't know i didn't know that he was going through this so this is perfect right. so greg so what so 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 let's assume that they got well let's not assume what do they need to do in the strategy piece that you feel is really critical okay so in the in the strategy piece and and we we use a, a classic definition of strategy right uh the idea that strategy is about how you position yourself in the marketplace to be successful and to create competitive advantage right so what's the unique value that you're going to create your organization's going to create that's <coughs> different than all of the people that you're competing with for your customers attention right and then and then once you've identified that positioning and and we usually encourage people to think about what are the two or three or four maybe five differentiators that are clearly you do it better, different than than your competition or the other people that your customers could choose from, right? Then it's about what do we have to do as an organization to be in that position, right? We call them strategic initiatives. People call them any number of things. But what are the kind of those top-level actions that you're going to do to make that happen? The other part that and, – and this is where I think a lot of people struggle – is the other part of strategy is – making choices about what you're not going to do, right? And so... You, you can't relate to that. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep talking. I like this. Come on. Let's keep going. Because every organization, I don't care how big you are, even, you know, even Amazon is resource constrained. They can't choose to do everything, certainly now. Over a period of time, maybe, maybe they can. But um, everybody's resource constrained. So we have to make specific decisions about what we are going to do and then what we're not going to do. So that, that gives you the strategy. How are we going to position ourselves differently as an organization? What do we have to do? What are we going to give up doing? And then what – and I've, we've got the seven gears. There are four of them that we call the performance gears, which are really how do you take that strategy and then just really kind of drive it through your organization? Again, it's super fundamental blocking and tackling, nothing nobody's ever thought of. But yet we don't do these things well. It would be – how do we translate the, our strategy into goals for everybody in the organization? And it's shockingly, um, a couple things happen. One is most people in most organizations don't have goals. If I just ask people to tell me what their goals are, they struggle to be able to tell me that, which is surprising to me. Second thing is even if they do have goals, um, they don't necessarily align with the organization. And, and I, I would encourage everybody to do this. We talk about it in the book. It's every place I've ever written. But the first thing to do when, when you finish the podcast today is write down what you believe your top three to five goals are in your organization and then ask your, ask your manager to write down what he or she thinks your top three to five goals are. 
and you take those two lists and see how many match, mm. right? <laughs> Go ahead, guess. Oh, I mean, and and we've got experience base that goes back 30 years, we've probably had 10,000, 50, you know, 20,000 people go through the exercise now. On average, how many of, if you've got two lists of five, how many do you think match? Oh, like, like, like exact match? Yeah. You mean? Yeah. One, yeah. One, even, one, even. One, one goal. You're in the neighborhood. Really? Yeah. It's actually, really? it's about 1.95. It rounds to two maybe. Okay, good. So At least it's better than, it, yeah. It, and like, that's if we give liberal credit. Yeah. It doesn't have to be exact if you're just reasonably close, like horseshoes. If you're reasonably close, we're going to give you credit for the point. Yeah. Right, 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 right. So wow. That, I'm, I'm surprised that that's the case. Yeah. That, yeah. Is that a communication uh, disruption? Or like it, yeah. it is. It, sometimes it's communications because we don't talk about it. We never play the game. Um, you know, we never actually sit down, match the two lists, and so we don't talk about it. Um, but there are other things that get in the way. Um, let's say I've got my list of five. And, uh, and this actually happened to me early in my career. Uh, my team, uh, I actually did run an en- manage an engineering department for a while, which was a crazy decision on my company's part to let me run an engineering department. <laughs> but uh, I, I, had a, I had a team and, uh, of, of engineers and estimators, and uh, they were responsible for getting utility lines installed uh, in, in the area that we were responsible for. And we had really good processes by Matt to figure out which jobs had to happen in which order. One day I'm driving home and I see that the guy living next to me has put in a pad. He lived out in the country uh, close to a bunch of farmers. And this this farmer close to me put in a new pad for a new pump because he had to pump water to irrigate his fields. And so the next day I went by the office and I was in the office. I knew the estimator on the job and I just said to the estimator on the job, hey, what's going on with Farmer Jones's thing. He goes, uh, I don't know. We've got the job. It's scheduled for, you know, six or eight weeks from now. Seemed perfectly fine. Two days later, I go past and I realize that the electricity has now been dropped to the, to that pad that theoretically didn't need it for six or eight, six or eight right. weeks. What's going on? So I talked to the farmer, Farmer Jones, and I said, what happened? He goes, I don't know, man. They just showed up today and installed it. I went <laughs> back to the office the next day and I said, hey, I, I just happened to notice that Farmer Jones's thing was installed. And they're like, yeah, we thought it was important to you, so we went ahead and changed the whole schedule for the next twelve weeks, and we, we got it oh, installed. That interesting, right? Wow. And, wow. and so that's that's it's one of the things. Eh? Yeah, right. So what happens is people pick up on signals, mm. sometimes completely unintentional, mm-hmm. and they think their goals are over. Whatever, whatever you pay attention oh, to gets yeah. done, right? Yeah. And so we can in, inadvertently send the wrong signals okay, about what's important. I think I do important. this all the time. I really do. Well, no, I was just thinking yeah. about small businesses and entrepreneurs. That, Especially with visionary entrepreneurs that, who that are have all, that, ideas that all that all throw out all these ideas, and then right. people are going to take that and run with them. And <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Right. Okay. Right. No, I, I, I so, can, so oh, there's sorry, so there's yeah. around communication, but what about what about um, the actual idea of this being able to set a proper goal? Yeah. Like, like how be, how good are have you been noticing people are setting goals? When even well, that's a great point because even when people have goals, and even sometimes we can get the list to match. If I if I look at them, a lot of times their goals are defined in terms of activities, not in terms of the work that needs to get accomplished. Uh, you know, it, it, here's here's a simple example I think connects with a lot of people. You go into a restaurant and you sit down at the table and you realize that the the um, silverware is a little bit dirty, and you hand it to the server or you hand it to the manager. The manager takes it back, and who do they give the the stuff to the silverware to back in the kitchen? They give it to the dishwasher. 
what's the dishwasher's job? Well, as defined, it's to wash the dishes. But if you put it into result-oriented goal terms, what would their job be? Well, the, in a, a result-oriented goal is to provide clean silverware to the table. Right. Well, that's the goal. Washing dishes is not a goal. That's an activity. Got it. You look at most people's goals, even, if, even those that do have goals, m- most of their goals are written in terms of activity. So you see um, salespeople, really common one, make 20 sales calls a week. That's the goal. What do you, yeah, mm-hmm. right. That's the goal. So they go out and they make 20 sales calls, yeah. but they're not to growing ends. sales. They're not yeah. growing profit. They're not growing market share. They're not connecting with customers in a different kind of way, building customer what, satisfaction. What is, I'm always curious about this because this is such a common thing. But like, what is it about setting goals that's so, is it like that is challenging for people in your opinion? I, I think I think the idea sometimes of setting crisp, clear, and, and we describe them in, in what I call SET, set goals terms, start end time frame. So I know where I'm starting from. If I'm a salesperson, I'm selling 50,000 units this year. My goal is to sell 100,000 units by the end of the year, and I have to do it by the end of the year. So there's the time frame. I think that scares people a lot of times, right? right because sure, yeah. all of a sudden now I'm accountable to right. that. Right. Whereas if, if things are defined in terms of activity, Oh, I'm good. I'm safe. If, as long as I do the idea, as long as I make the five or 10 sales calls a week, I'm good. Right. I, I'm the dishwasher. I wash the dishes. That's a whole different, you know, on one hand, that's a whole different level of accountability. On the other hand, it really engages people. If you can get over the fear hurdle that I'm going to get killed if I don't actually hit the goal, right. which we also talk about in the book, the idea that we're all really good. We think we're good at creating accountability, but it's not just about creating accountability. It's generating learning from the process. So if I miss my sales goals, if there are reasons that are outside my control that I miss my sales goals, I shouldn't be held accountable for that. As an organization, we should learn about that and figure out what we need to do to fix that. Right. So when you when you get over that hurdle, when you can kind of build the trust where we can have the conversation about it, well, now I don't have to be afraid. I can go ahead and set that, that big, hairy, scary goal yeah. of 100,000 units. Right. And if the organization is going to learn about it as we go through it, then I can let myself be free to go do it. Plus, it gives me the latitude to figure out the best way to hit those sales targets. It may not be make 10 sales calls a week. There may be work with existing (laughs) customers to sell more higher margin products than it is to to merely make a bunch of calls. Would it be fair to say that when you start start helping an organization have better conversations around to get – like if if it's fear-based, you know, where a lot of people are – are slipping up. Now we're talking, it's more of a cultural conversation, isn't it? Absolutely. And like, you know, does the culture, you know, allow for perceived failure or right. uh, missing targets or um, or even just having candid conversations? Absolutely. And as, as and we certainly talk about in the book the idea that, that part of getting the right people in the right roles, right, with the right capabilities, part of that is having a culture that attracts the people that you want to attract. And, and part of it is uh, even understanding what the culture is that aligns with your strategy, right? So there are places where you want really sharp, crisp, independent contribution, right? And you want, you want what, we, what you might call hunter killers to go out and just, they just drive forward. You got a lot of other organizations where you really want teamwork. Right. And so which of those values is important to your organization? Recognizing that and then attracting the right people 
to build the culture that supports the strategy that you've got in place. So if so, actually, as we're you know as we're digging into this, you start recognize. I mean, I, I, I you just it is it is actually multifaceted. Like there's just so many, there is a lot of complexity when you start yes. tying in culture, values of the culture have to align with strategy, you know, um, like, um, you know, I think of Hemming's house and your culture, you know, and, and how it's important the strategy and the strategic imperatives will be really critical to line up with the culture that you would have. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to set the goals in a way, in a way that, that you can actually see them being achieved to make sure they're not activity based. Absolutely. I, I find, uh, I find a lot of there's, and I, I never thought about it as fear for whatever reason. And I, um, but I've noticed there's a lot of um, really vague, like people will, well, I, th- I, in my, you know, maybe in my, I'm being naive, but I thought, well, someone says, yeah, I, like they just, you know, I want to lose weight, you know, but you know, that's not a really, yeah, okay, right. but how much? So would that be the activity, right? And that's not the goal. <laughs> or the goal, weight. or the goal is to lose how much weight? Yes, you know what I mean right. to be really specific, weight, right? right? Yeah. Like I want to lose five pounds, and then that's great, but by when? Right. Right. And then, and, and like, if we use that example, right. Or 20 pounds by, you know, and then, um, but if, but, but if you think about it, if that's what you set up, um, then it's so much easier to figure out how you're going to do it. Well, what am I, well, I have to look at my caloric intake, right. you know, like you need this much exercise. I can, you know, I should roughly find I'm going to shed this much per right. week so I can actually achieve my target. Right. Um, I just I'm just th- I'm just thrown into a lot of environments where I'm seeing people just just very like I'm that's I'm that's that's not even an exaggeration but just yeah we want to increase sales okay <laughs> like <laughs> we, 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 what 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 service line what you know right. what to what you know what percentage do you want to increase it where are you now you know what what's you know how is that going to happen what's telling you you want to increase that you right know, all that kind of stuff uh, well that's a great point and and I would describe the phrase lose weight or increase sales, those are, those are goal areas. Yeah. They're not goals. Right. Right. Goal area, yeah, um, that's nice. you know, they're, and so that idea of, I want to lose five pounds from today in the next month or the next two months. Excellent. Now, now you've got start, you know, where you're at, or I want to go from 180 to 175 pounds between now and two months from now, you got a start place, you got an end place, you've got a time frame. That begins to create focus, and, and it sets the priorities. And then, Dave, to your point, identifying what, what we call the performance drivers. What are the things that I actually have to do to be able to hit that? And, and that opens up the whole world then. And, and, and it even goes beyond just knowing what my caloric intake has to be. Uh, and there are hundreds of ways to do that, right? Um, and, and then how much exercise I need to get. Then the next step of that and, and whole, a big part of the performance drivers is to track it, right? right? So now daily, and, and, I, and I have that same challenge personally, right? When, when I know it's time for me to lose some weight, I know that the, the critical issue isn't do I, do I know how to lose weight? Absolutely. Do I know what the best practices are around it? Absolutely. I've done it many times. Um, but, but it gets the, harder when we get older, though. It, it does get a, it does get a little bit <laughs> the, harder. The drivers have to start to <laughs> yeah, shift a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and when uh, when uh, when, my, people, when guests bring, <laughs> bring muffins and yeah, stuff, brownies, it's like yeah, the the, the brownies, brownies, the cupcakes right. don't help a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they're really good. Uh, 
but what I found is, and what we know this about all aspects of performance, is when you begin to track it, when you have to write down every meal, what you've eaten, mm-hmm. and, and whether you call that points or you call that uh, calories or however you do that, because then what that does is it allows you to make decisions as you're going along. Same thing for that salesperson. The interesting thing is that the dishwasher, the salesperson, to put clean silverware on the table, is the dishwasher going to wash dishes? Absolutely. But it gives that person the opportunity to figure out what's the best way to get clean silverware on the table and how do I adjust my process. For the salesperson, are they going to make sales calls, right? Their, their goal is to generate 50,000 new units of sales. Absolutely, they can make sales calls. Certainly they are. But now what they're going to do, first of all, they're going to think more about what sales calls to make. And then secondly, if they're tracking it, they'll know over time which sales calls lead and what the sales process needs to, lead, needs to be to lead to new sales versus I'm just out randomly making sales calls, right? Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the tracking driven by the performance drivers ties back to the actual goal. Well, I'm uh, excited for next week. <laughs> Are you? Well, yeah, of you, course. Are you going to drive all this in? Well, no, no. I just feel that um, going in to our, our strategy session um, with the intention of actually having proper goal set within this, the context of this conversation. It's nothing new, like you mentioned at the beginning, but it's a reminder of, yeah, just setting certain targets is, uh, it's not the same thing as being very specific. And I understand what you're saying about the uh, tracking meals. And these apps that we have on our phones are great because I, I was doing the uh, uh, the calorie counting uh, on one of my apps and it's really fun. And like I'm around, like I brought down like 2,000 calories a day, but I start getting to the point of understanding what stuff is. Right. And I was like, oh, darn it, that extra beer uh, took me over the 2,000 mark or whatever it was, right? And it did adjust my behavior. So, And we kind of do it in business. But the thing that drives me nuts, and this kind of, we're running close to the end of our time here, but about business is when, when you've, you've got lagging metrics, uh, financial metrics, when, uh, when you have goals – uh, and maybe they're financial goals, but you don't get them for a month and a half later or whatever it might be, you know? Um, these are very micro goals. Macro goals, I find, are a little bit easier for us to head towards. But uh, I, th- I almost find it's easier to, to set personal goals and business goals. And I, I, I haven't unpacked that yet about why I'm saying that. But uh, you've definitely put me on to a focus on trying to figure this out a little bit more. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, and, and part of it, and, and Maeve was implicit in some things we talked about, is the idea of having a scorecard, mm-hmm. right? And as you take the big goals and you break them down into the things that we have to do uh, throughout the whole organization, what are different people's goals to be able to accomplish the big things, then what we found is everybody has to have a scorecard, which allows you to change the game while it's being played. Because you're right, when, when you don't get feedback on your performance... Uh, and one of the stories we tell in the book is around uh, a resort that I was doing a turnaround on. And we it was failing. We were absolutely failing. We were running out of cash. And, and we were we knew that we were spending $250,000 a month on labor that we shouldn't have been spending. But we didn't, just like you, we didn't get the feedback on that until 10 days after the close of the month, which is way too late to make the decisions because that, that money's long gone. It's burned. And so we finally got to where we had a scorecard in place that all of our unit managers could track, they could correlate their labor costs with their revenues on a daily basis instead of 10 days after the close of the month. Hmm. 
once we got that tracking system in place and, and we were able to give people a visible scorecard that they could measure by, so change the game while the game's being played, it took less than 36 hours for us to get labor costs under control. Our, our managers, we had 55 managers managing units across the resort. And within, it's actually way less than 36 hours, about 12 hours from the first time we gave them a scorecard that they were making better decisions. Wow. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And, and it's, it's funny that none of us really, it's not, it doesn't seem like a priority, even though it makes so much sense. Right. And what I've appreciated is the stories in the book, you know. Is there a story you, you could share just to kind of maybe summarize how this can all come into play that comes to mind, you know, and the value, you know, from from the perspective of of um of, of using the seven drivers and and uh or the gear, sorry. Yeah. And um, you know, and getting to a result state that, that was was identified ahead of time. Yeah, and and the the book is we've in in all of the with all the different seven gears we've attached some excellent stories I think that that really communicate what different people have done in different places to make it work. But one of the one of the most interesting uh, was an organization we were working with and they were really struggling. They were it was a unit of a much larger organization, so they they weren't they weren't going to bankrupt the organization. But this one particular unit was really struggling and. Uh, we we uh, went in and on the first day we had the top twenty five or so leaders in the whole organization in the room around the table, and we just asked each of them, write down on a piece of paper. Don't talk to your neighbor. Write down on a piece of paper, top three priorities for this organization to be able to be successful. All of them knowing that the organization was struggling. Now we figured three. We had twenty five people, each of them writing down three items. We figured there's we, we won't get twenty five items, but we weren't expecting 75, right? We weren't expecting 25 unique lists. And that's almost exactly what we got. Uh, We got 72 unique items between the 25 people in the room about what the top three priorities were for that organization. And so right away, you know, they have zero chance of being able to be successful. They can't even agree on the priorities. They couldn't even agree on the priorities. So we were able to spend some time with them to help them Refigure what's our strategy. What are those top three priorities for our organization of a whole? It was, it was a pretty good sized organization, probably three hundred team members, and it took a while. It took a little while to completely refine that, get people focused on the top three things. When you say a while, like are we talking within a day or uh, weeks? Or? It would probably a few weeks okay. to get refocused on that. Well, it took a day or two to get focused on those top three priorities, yeah. and then to begin to understand what the implications of those top three were for 300 people, have it cascade down into the organization and get embedded into what everybody was supposed to be able to do on a day in and day out basis. And then it took a little while longer because some of the, some of the issues were substantial quality issues and productivity issues. So it probably took two years to really get the top to spin the way that it needed to spin. But ultimately they were hugely successful by just figuring out how they needed to position themselves and then cascade it to everybody in the organization and then really rely on the talents of the people that they had in the organization to go make that happen. You know, I, I know we're, I know we're wrapping, um, but I, you know what I like about, I really like about that story is it sounds like they had leaders who were courageous enough to actually step up and have the group recognize that we're not aligned here, you know? Right. And I think a lot of people, that's, that's a scary thing to do, right? You know, when you're paid a lot of money, probably to be a leader of an organization of that size, right? Yes. So it says a lot about what to do. So strategy, execution results. Um, I think you got a neat giveaway that's going to be attached to this. Nice. 
yeah, we've got we're gonna have a we've got a survey for people uh, to be able to go to uh, our website. It's uh, relatively short. I think it takes six or seven minutes to fill out um, to that asks different questions about different components of the strategy execution results book and gives them some we'll give them some insights into where they're at and where their primary opportunities are to get better. And where is that website? That would be uh, www.ici.com. This has been awesome. What, and what's the best way for people to get a hold of you specifically before we go to our takeaways? Email me at sryan at www.ici.com or just go to the website and uh, uh, request more information. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for being on with us. Yeah, thanks, Sean. We're going to have more conversations for sure. Uh, we're moving into our takeaways. And now it's time for the Boiling Point Takeaways. We've been in studio here speaking with Sean Ryan, who's right behind me of Whitewater Consulting. We've been talking about strategy execution results, which absolutely actually happens to be the title of his book that's going to be coming out. Um, And you can go to his website, uh, Whitewater Consulting website, www.ici.com. And if you're a small business owner or a big business owner or wondering how your team is doing or department, um, there's going to be an assessment you can complete and it'll, t- it'll kind of give you the opportunities that are available to you. What um, For me, a takeaway, and I'm, um, there's a couple. Um, first is this idea that um, a stat that Sean threw, it, I never actually asked him where it ca- comes from, but it's the idea that um, 75% of organizations fail um, to to actually see the result of uh, of you know of a strategy that they've come up with as I believe how how you've described it. Um, so I'm seeing the evidence of that in the coaching world in terms of some of the work we're doing with organizations. But the other piece is is just the challenge people have around setting goals. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so um, a lot of really good uh, examples of how you can just overcome some of these challenges. Yeah, so, and. And I think uh, my takeaways, Dave, are uh, action takeaways, uh, like legit. We are actually having a two-day offsite next week, a strategy planning session, uh, not unlike uh, all of our other previous quarterly uh, sessions, but this one we're going to be hyper-focused at goal setting, but not just action setting. I think that's been my, my takeaways. There's a difference between saying we're going to increase sales from we're going to increase sales by 20% by doing these five things, you know, so being very specific. And that's, that's where I've been kind of quiet in this particular interview, just kind of processing this because it's an age old discussion. There's nothing new about goal setting, but none of us seem to do it right. You know? And I think my, my big takeaway is for, for our Hemingsos offsite, we're going to, we're going to drill down heavily on specific goals and timelines. Ah, timeline. Good. I was just going to ask. Yeah. And then we'll put Sean on here. My takeaway is that uh, great cupcakes great for make for great conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well done. That's good. Well, thank you so much uh, for this. Uh, any final words from you of, of inspiration or motivation for our, our listening audience? Uh, it would just be this, that a lot of times we think about this as an incredibly complex elephant to eat, and, and it doesn't have to be. Uh, one of the things we built into the book, and the, the, the reason the gears are pretty cool, we built it around this uh, seven-gear framework, is you can pick it on and work on the gear that you think is the biggest barrier to your success. And so you can do it small pieces at a time. You don't have to do everything. Just like our goals themselves. Thank you so much, Sean. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Dave, Greg. We'll see you next week. And to the listeners, uh, thank you so so much for supporting this podcast. And uh, continue by uh, sharing this with a friend. 
this podcast. And uh, also certainly subscribe and rate. We really do appreciate it. And uh, check out the boilingpointpodcast.com. Give us your email. Hop onto our email list so we can tell you all about what's happening with the Boiling Point process. So we'll see you next week in the same place, uh, Dave. Sounds good. All right. Yeah. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember, keep that pot boiling. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.